You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's Something to Talk About, we are going over the resurrection of Jesus, which is the best news ever. <laughs> it is it is the good news. Uh, and we're focusing again on, on some of the details of that that maybe sometimes get overlooked when we do things like the Easter celebration or or talk about it elsewhere. So that's what our discussion is uh, getting into today. So hope you guys enjoy. So thank you for beginning the podcast with cookies and coffee. I appreciate that. I didn't bring some for the whole class. Well, everybody that decided to attend in person <laughs> Everyone for our up. live studio audience of us. Ooh, that'd be fun. <laughs> I went to when I was I was listening to this podcast for a while called Gilmore Guys. Okay. And they went through every single episode of Gilmore Girls and talked about it. And I went to one of their live shows in Chicago, and nice. it was a lot of fun. Did they serve coffee? They did not. But that's was, a fail. It was still fun. Good morning. Good morning. Good snowy morning. Indeed, snowy and icy. The roads are dangerous in southwestern Lower Michigan. And how are you going to tie that in to what we're talking about? today well you know as we saw the crucifixion there was a slippery slope no! once they got on there uh, once they started going a certain direction <laughs> there was no escape from it and uh, that same thing happened to my daughter this morning as she was had no escape from the accident that she was going into she hit the brakes and just kept going and anyway as we're Very looking impressed. at this week we're we are actually talking not about the crucifixion but about the resurrection and um, Paul which Paul is like said, the salt on the road. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Paul said that uh, that the resurrection really is kind of the, the the hinge of all this. If if there is no resurrection, then our faith is useless. Our, right. our preaching is useless, and we're still in our sins. So that's a really important thing for us to recognize. This is not an optional part of the gospel. Right. Well, you know, one thing that's always struck me is that historically speaking, and I think you know. Luke especially makes a point of that, but but historians, there's really no big argument that Jesus was not here, that he did not walk the earth, that he did not, you know, whatever. Right. Atheists believe that, but like like we're saying here, that's all that's all well and good, but it's right. the resurrection that causes such discord among people and what you believe. Right, and it's one of the places where we saw false teaching creeping into the church early. We see it even today. There are seminaries. Uh, liberal seminaries who will teach that uh, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead and that, you know, trying to explain away the miracles of the scripture, that Jesus was a good teacher and all those kinds of things. But we really can't do that without completely undermining everything about the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. The entire fabric of Christianity unravels apart from that. And if we take the miracles out of the scriptures, that's what the, the Sadducees did. They, they believed in the Torah, not in the prophets. And they, uh, even in the Torah, you've got miracles that happen regularly as God is active, but they explained those things away rather than, um, rather than seeing God active in, in our world today uh, in a way that transcends the rules that he set up. So as we see things today, we have liberal seminaries, like I said, who are preparing alleged clergy um, to, to go out into alleged ministry, preaching an alleged gospel that really is not in any way reflective of what the scripture teaches and offers no real hope. And this is, I think, one of the big reasons that um, church attendance 
has dropped so significantly is that we've gotten away from the the difficult, uh, hard to swallow truths of Scripture, mm-hmm. and we've tried to make everything palatable. We've tried to to you know say, well, God didn't really create the world in in six literal days, and and you know there are folks who can debate you know the meaning of that uh, of the phrase in Genesis, but we want to try to make it fit scientific theories theories not not fact the evidence still points to the, to whatever it points to right but our starting point changes how we approach it and so when we look at at whether it's genesis or you know i've seen so many shows over the years on the history channel or uh nat geo saying things basically trying to explain how the parting of the Red Sea happened right, right. without miracles, right. trying to explain the miracles of the Bible and why they really aren't miracles. And when we do that, we are denying the power of God. We're denying the authority and inerrancy of the Scripture. What are we left with? Ourselves. With a man-made, created religion like every other religion. And one of the things that makes Christianity different is that Christianity ultimately isn't a religion. Mm-hmm. It, it is... It's a way of, when we say Christianity, I, I usually try to avoid the word because it puts it puts our faith on par with the great world religions. Right. And we're categorically denying that. What we are saying as Christ followers is that this is not religion, this is reality. There is one reality, there is one God. He did these things. He uh, he makes provision for our sinfulness that separates us from him in this way. There are no other options. There are no other alternatives. The Bible makes a very exclusive truth claim, and those who call themselves Christians adhere to that mm-hmm. reality, mm-hmm. that there is nothing else. There is a relationship with our Creator. There's a relationship with the personal God who is active in the world, but he made this world a certain way. It operates according to his rules. The, the scripture reveals him perfectly as he chooses to be revealed to us. And anything else, it, we are absolutely saying, Christians are absolutely saying, is a lie. It's falsehood. And there's no escaping that. When we try to make those things fit, and we take the, the resurrection out, or we take away uh, hard teachings, or we try to take away the moral teachings, we love the morality of Jesus until the morality of Jesus contradicts the morality of today. Right. So you know, we love to talk about Jesus as this great moral teacher, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, which is an Old Testament principle that he carried forward. Uh, you know, the, uh, the love your neighbor the, as yourself and love your enemy so we we like to put yeah, it, don't put that one so much. yeah we like to take the the moral teaching and make it sound more like humanism or like a bumper sticker yeah a man-centered socialism kind of thing right and we take out the hard sayings of jesus right. that you know like the old testament law not one little piece of this will pass away until it's all reached its fulfillment the the prediction that he makes over and over that he will uh, be persecuted, crucified, uh, and he will rise again uh, on the third day. The fact that he continually makes claims that only God can make, that he forgives sins, Mm -hmm. acknowledging in the conversation, only God can forgive sins. Mm -hmm. And yet, so that you know that I can that I have the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to do this miraculous thing. I'm going to heal this person. Right. And so he goes about demonstrating in all four of the gospels 
emphasize the miraculous aspects of what Jesus does. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this is a, a, a little small thing. Right. And the, the point of the redemption happens in the crucifixion. But the resurrection is what confirms that that sacrifice that removes God's righteous wrath has been accepted. So if there is no resurrection, then Jesus is a dead martyr like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And we can make all the other claims that we want to make. But apart from the resurrection, Paul himself said, we are to be pitied above all people because our hope is stuck here. Mm -hmm. And we are claiming that there's a greater hope that there is something bigger, that there is a life that never ends, that there is a creator that that intimately cares about us. This creator God actually is involved in our lives, is offended and heartbroken by our sin, and has just wrath because of that. And so his wrath is being poured out on humankind because of the fact that we have suppressed the truth that was innate to, the, to all of creation that was built into us, we've suppressed that by our wickedness. And because of that wickedness, then God hands us over to our wicked choices. You get what you choose. So if you want life without me, okay, here's what life looks like without me. So when people talk about, well, where was God when the school shooting happened? He was exactly where you wanted him to be. Right, out of the school. And so that those kinds of, of things are exactly what Paul talks about when he says that God has handed us over to these evil desires. And, you know, that's all of that's in Romans chapter 1. And, and he lays that out in, in various other forms in other, his other letters. Jesus says the same types of things. You, you get what you choose. If you want to live apart from God, then you get what comes to those who live apart from God. Right. And ultimately, when, when the kingdom is, uh, is brought in in its fullness then all which is imperfect, all which is opposed to God or apart from God will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. All sin will be destroyed. All sinners will be destroyed. That's our default mode. The only option out of this is the grace of God that we do not deserve. No person deserves it. So the question isn't why doesn't God save everybody? The question is why does God save anybody? Mm-hmm. It's only his grace. And, and that grace is given to us so that he can be both just, keeping his holy standard, and the one who justifies because he loves us. So he makes us right with himself, those that, that he has snatched out of the fire, so to speak. And all of this is from God. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. So as we look at this, this section of Luke, the end of his, his gospel, this uh, story of Christ's earthly ministry, we're in chapter 24, and Jesus has been crucified. He's laying in the tomb. The women have prepared uh, spices and perfumes for his burial, but they, uh, they rested on the Sabbath day as they kept the command honoring God. Now, on the first day of the week, well, just reading from chapter 24, starting with verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Matthew uh, describes an angel, uh, presumably the one that's speaking here, rather than mentioning both of them. And he also mentions Jesus uh, appearing uh, shortly after this. Mark mentions a young man 
Uh, John mentions two angels. So as they give these different perspectives on, on what's happening, Luke records it as two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning mm -hmm. standing beside them. Verse 5, In their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This is, this is the hope that we have in Christ, is that he is not like anybody else. God affirms his identity. God affirms his pleasure in Christ, his full acceptance by raising him from the dead. And not only that, God affirms in, in this resurrection that this has always been the plan. And the angels say to them here, uh, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. This wasn't a surprise. It wasn't new. Right. This was always the plan. And so uh, at that time, the women remembered his words. And when they came back, uh, they shared these things with the 11, and, and the 11 didn't believe them. It sounded like nonsense. Mm -hmm. Just like it sounds to all of us today in ourselves, in our flesh, as we as we seek to understand this with a human understanding, it seems like foolishness. Mm -hmm. In fact, Paul in his letter says the message of the cross seems like foolishness. This whole atonement sacrifice idea that, that Jesus is supposed to be this chosen one of God, this Messiah, and yet he suffers and dies and is crucified like a criminal, and, and then you're saying he rose from the dead? He says this is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, this is the power of God. And he goes on to talk about the fact that the, the resurrection power that God displayed in Christ is actually at work in those who follow Christ. So this whole dynamic for us follows that same pattern. We were dead, all of us, dead in our sin. But because of Christ, by trusting in him, that when we talk about faith, we're really really just talking about trusting. A lot of times we use faith, it sounds churchy, so we think of it as some mystical quality. Right. It's just trusting that what he says is true. So because I believe and I cling to this truth, I receive his grace. And this grace is not given to us because of anything that we've done, any merit in ourselves, any super wisdom that we've got, but God simply opened our eyes and allowed us to see it. So we are transferred from death to life, just like Christ is. So that we, being raised with him, can then live a new life that pleases God. Prior to that death and resurrection of ourselves, we literally cannot please God. And that, that's something I think we, we miss out on. We think, oh, well, you know, some people are good people. And, you know, so they, you know, God, I'm sure, looks at them and, and you know, will give them grace and take them to heaven because they're good people. But that's not what the scripture says. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. No matter what we do, apart from Christ, our very best efforts, Isaiah calls filthy rags, the very best that we have to offer, when we think we've got this stuff down, right? We, we're doing all the right things. We've, we've stopped our carousing and drinking and, you know, all the corruption of our lives. Right. And, you know, our family looks like it's really together and we've got our... our finances in order and our, our uh, emergency fund and we pay our taxes and we, we don't break the laws and people respect us and we seem like we're really right. Apart from Christ, none of that pleases God. Mm -hmm. it, it's good for this life. It's a better way to live than being miserable all right. the time. But, the, but it's temporary. And when we 
die, that's it. Right. That's all you've got. A hundred years, maybe, of that. Yeah, you know, and and how how few people reach right. that right, right. that, I mean, that level. Lucky. Right. So then we face eternity. After this, every person is appointed to die once and then face the judgment. Mm-hmm. Then what? Right. And and that's where we really run into problems. Is we we prepare for every contingency here, right? Well, we know it's going to snow, it's so we it's get what we know. It's what right. yeah, it's the only thing we know. And that's where faith comes in, is right. recognizing that this isn't about what I can see mm-hmm. in my own sensuality and in using my senses. Well, when you think I, about how small that is. Right. Yeah, there's a bigger truth. There's a bigger reality. And the creator who created this bigger reality, all of these things, from the smallest to the greatest, he says, here's the plan. The plan is, you're going to live this life now. It's going to end. And this is just the, the, the green room. You're mm-hmm. going to get to the show eventually. Mm-hmm. You want to be prepared for the show, not for the green room. Right. So we spend all of our time here in the green room, get you know, With snacks, eating the snacks right. and putting on makeup and all this stuff, never taking the stage, never going out to do what we are here to do. So then, in the in the final assessment, what have we actually accomplished? We've right. wasted our time in preparing for what doesn't matter and can't possibly ever last. We know that. Every single person, the, the idea of, you know, trying to cheat death or, or you know, even uh, every person is going to die. That's a reality. Until Christ comes back, then those who are, are left will be caught up with him. But until that time, every single person is going to die. Mm-hmm. And even at that time, Every single person is going to leave this existence right. that we right. know right now. Right. So rather than spending our time trying to cling to it and you know make this as nice as we can, let's keep rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, maybe we should figure out what we're going to do after the Titanic sinks because we've already seen the movie. We know how this goes. So we spend all of our time putting the best makeup we can on a corpse. And yet, the pretty corpse is still dead. Jesus is saying, you can be raised with him. That, that's, that's the whole point. In this resurrection, he's invited us to be with him. And because we are buried with him, and, and this is what baptism symbolizes, our faith in him has us identified in his burial and death, and also in his resurrection. So we're raised to a new life that is now lived for God. We don't live for ourselves, we live for him. In that, in that resurrection, this is where we find our source of life and hope. It's the reality of Christ's resurrection that is the hinge point of all of this. And so it, it's, it really is not an optional thing. And it also, not only is it not optional, but this is why. When we recognize it, not, not muster up some kind of religious belief that, okay, we, you know, we say these words and we repeat a creed right, or whatever, right, right. but to recognize in, in the depths of who we are, that this is actually true. This is actually reality. It's not something we talk about. It actually literally happened and is literally happening every day in the lives of those who trust Christ. When we begin to see things that way, then it changes everything about how we live. It changes our, our entire way of thinking and moves us increasingly from faith from fear to faith. We begin to see more and more of the power of God in our lives when we recognize that if if God is who he says he is, if these things actually happened and are true, 
then what is too big for him? And if he loved us so much that he sent his son to die, as Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners, Mm -hmm. while we were God's enemies, he went out of his way, deliberately choosing to suffer for us, to pay for the crimes we committed against him, how much more will he watch over us and care for us and love us and not withhold from us any good thing now that we actually are his children? And Christ calls us his friends. That, That if we are seated with him in heavenly realms, if God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ so that everything that's spiritually true of Christ is spiritually true of us, then how could we possibly think that he was willing to give us Christ, he was willing to actually take on death himself in our place, but he's going to leave me hanging now. Why would he withhold something that costs so much less? It's so easy for him when he did what cost everything and was so difficult. Can I ask a question? <laughs> That's your job. Um, this is taking a step back for a minute, but um, one thing that's always kind of struck me about the the crucifixion itself was that when you when you look at the Old Testament sacrifices that needed to be made to made to atone for sins mm. they were very specific right. and you needed to do things a certain way and in a certain order and then follow these rules and I realized that Jesus was was the perfect lamb but his his death itself seemed very chaotic and un, uh, there wasn't no like ceremony to it I mean he was beaten sure. he was stabbed he was whatever so is that that to me just seems very human and and that I guess I've kind of always I don't want to say taking comfort in it that sounds very morbid but because it wasn't this perfect organized rule following thing sure that to me almost makes it seem more <coughs> real I, I I don't know and and powerful in a way yeah I think you know, as we look, I could be totally wrong. I as we look at the the Old Testament sacrifices and and that they were prescribed, yes. and that there were specific ways that this had to happen, right. um, that we can we can kind of neaten that up, I guess, and and make that seem like it was all pretty pristine. It wasn't. It was horrible and bloody. And and for those of us who love animals, what a horrible thing to <laughs> but see. It almost the, also makes it seem like more of a religion thing than a than a. Like another box to Sure, and it, and it very often lapsed into that, and yeah. God condemned that repeatedly through the prophets that said, look, I don't, I don't want your worship. Mm-hmm. What do I care about the sacrifice of, of rams and bulls? Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about. This is about a relationship of faith and obedience. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to continue to do these things and not engage the heart with me, then it, this just smells like death. This is not a pleasing aroma to me. This just is death. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. I hate your worship. That same thing happens today, by the way, without the sacrifice, when we go through the motions of worship, or we think it's about how pretty our songs sound, or how talented our preacher is, or, or you know, what, what the accoutrements are in, our, in all of our different ceremonies. Mm-hmm. That has been, I guess to, to borrow your phrase, it was kind of comforting to me in some ways, in all of the times that we 
really messed stuff up at church. Uh, and, and you know what I'm talking about, and, and those who uh, attend real life would understand this. I, I make jokes sometimes about what a slick operation we are, because we are the opposite of anything well, we remotely even say on the close podcast, to. Too. We, we are the home of professional <laughs> podcasting. But when we are, you know, like when we're um, celebrating the, the remembrance celebration or communion, there have been a number of times when it was much more, I don't like chaos. Right. I can't stand chaos. Mm-hmm. And so when we are passing it out, especially when we adjusted to you know this new building, and um, we had eventually, after 10 years, fi- sort of found a way to do it in our old location. We get here where it should be easier, and then it's not, and we're kind of bumping into each other, like, how's this working? And the logistics got to be a little chaotic. And, and there is a, a, a realness that comes out of that that reminds us that this is not about us. This isn't about us performing perfectly. It's about us being utterly dependent on him. So when we look at those Old Testament sacrifices, in reality, while God prescribed it to be perfectly done, it was never perfectly done. Right. And so picture what's going on here, this mass slaughter of animals. What happens when the animal gets away? Because having dealt with animals all my life, that happens. Right. So you're you're there. You're ready to make the sacrifice. You're ready to, to like, slaughter nope. the lamb. And this lamb's fighting and screaming and, and escapes the person holding him. And you got to chase it. And so there's a, a lot of chaos that would have well, gone yeah, on that we often don't think about because those are the details right. that aren't aren't really given to right. us. But uh, lots of those kinds of things would happen. Uh, in reality, when we see what happened in the crucifixion. It was. It seems chaotic to us, but it was exactly as God laid it out to be. That's true. And yeah. so throughout, it had to happen the way it happened, because in the Old Testament, we see this same crucifixion uh, predicted. We mm-hmm. see this, the, the, the very type of death that we're going through, the prophecies are, are given this clear picture of, of Christ um, bearing the stripes on his back and, and, and so on as, mm-hmm. as he's numbered with the transgressors. He's treated like a criminal. He couldn't have just gone out and died in a religious ceremony. Right. He, had to have been, he had to have been falsely condemned as a criminal to go through this. And so while it seems chaotic, it's, it's actually ordered in, in the spiritual realms, in, in the heavenly realms. And what we see as ordered here a lot of times is more chaotic than what we recognize. That's true. So that I, I I guess the comfort that you see in that this seemed uh, can I use the word organic it, like it yeah, it just yeah. kind of happened. It was never out of God's control right. much like the things <laughs> that we deal with in our lives every day that you know it surprises us it never surprises God. It surprised them that this went this way. It didn't surprise Jesus. It didn't surprise God. Uh, so as this whole package unfolds, it really is kind of a picture of, of what we face every day, that God knows exactly what's happening. And Even it if feels, it feels like things are spiraling out yeah, of control. Yeah, it feels out of control to like, us. what is going and, on? And how, how relevant is that? You know, and, and we've talked a few times, you're going through some, some uh, legal proceedings, and you know, we've got, we all have situations that we're dealing with. Our, our families are dealing everybody with situations. Does, yeah. there, there's, does. there's nobody that doesn't. Right. You know, we may not know it. We think everybody's got it together except for us, but that's not the reality. But while it feels out of control, it's never out of God's control. Well, I was going to say that all, you know, kind of tying it together now, yeah, that might feel out of control. But the second part of that, the resurrection, then it seems 
all of that chaos and, and uncertainty and uh, discomfort and, and pain and whatever, then the resurrection, and it's perfect and, and unbelievable and yeah. holy. And it, so to think about that, I think that is the comfort. But even that feels more that way because of all the movies we've I know, seen. I know, I know. It's, you see so, Jesus coming back and he's glowing and whatever. Uh, well, I, it, when you see what, what's happening here, Everybody's confused, right? Right. So Me they're coming too. back, and, and you know, this next week we'll we'll look at um, Jesus appearing to these two disciples on the road right. toward uh, a town called Emmaus, and they're tripping, right? So Jesus has already risen from the dead. They're still freaking out, don't know what's going on, and as uh, as they go through this and they're talking about it. Nobody really gets it. Nobody really believes. So Mark, at the end of his gospel, and the last eight verses of Mark are, um, we, we think are probably added later on. You know, it, we believe the original text uh, ended with 16, verse 8, but the, the rest was kind of drawn to, because Mark leaves it hanging, right? So you have the resurrection happen and this sort of abrupt stop where the women get this news and they go away terrified. They're supposed to go and proclaim the gospel. They're supposed mm -hmm. to go tell mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. But the end of Mark's gospel, they're still terrified. And they're not telling anybody because they're freaked out. Right. Eventually, obviously, they do. We know this. Uh, but it it doesn't just magically make everything, you know, oh, you know. Right, and, right. And a lot of the... Um, pictures that we'll see of like the empty tomb show this glowing light right, radiating right, out of right. it. And that... That's great in our imagery in our minds, but that's not what we're seeing here. Now, could that have happened? Sure, could have. You know, what in the moment of his resurrection? Absolutely. God, you know, we see that Jesus lights the entire city of the New Jerusalem. There's no sun or moon because we, God is with us and He is manifest in light. So there's no need for those things. So that sure that could have happened. We don't have that in the scripture. So that all of that is is our artistic license that goes along with it. So as we're seeing these things, we want to make sure that we don't, um, we don't picture any of this as being so churchy and pristine that we miss out on the reality that everything on our end is kind of messy, mm -hmm. and life is messy, mm -hmm. and relationships are messy. And that's how it's supposed to be. Because we, we're talking about a relationship with God. Therefore, it's not a checklist. It's, it's the opposite of that. And I think God, again, I, this is, I guess, a little bit of conjecture. I, I think I can make a case for it biblically. But God allows this, orchestrates this, if you will, so that we can see that this is not religion. This is about a relationship with a living person. Right. And relationships are Messy. Messy. They're, they're, they're hard to figure out, even in the best situation. God's not messy. God is orderly. Well, he I'm does not... all things decently and in, in, in an orderly fashion. That's who he is. But we don't live in heaven. Everything will be that pristine right. then. Relationships won't be hard. They won't be messy because sin won't be present. But now the presence of sin makes everything messy. And I think the difference, and this is very hard for us to understand in our humanness, but, yeah, we're over time. But um, <coughs> this relationship is different in that he's not going anywhere. That's right. Yeah. And that's another thing I think that people aren't used to. We're so 
tarnished by the idea that relationships are fleeting and people can turn on a dime and leave. Especially and in our day. We're, right. we're, so, we're so used to that. And we train ourselves for that. Right. I mean, it's, and that makes it harder to trust, and therefore it makes it harder to trust God. Absolutely. And God gave us marriage and sexuality and family to be an illustration of his relationship to his people. So when we have... Uh, daddies who don't stick around right. or don't demonstrate the character of God well, um, that that destroys everything. Mm-hmm. And when we have uh, have mommies who don't demonstrate the submission of the church, mm-hmm. that destroys everything. And so when we've learned the the lack of permanence in these human relationships, it teaches us falsehood mm-hmm. about God. It's a distortion of the image, which is actually literally blasphemy. We'll end on that. <laughs> we'll end on blasphemy for the day. There you go. Uh, what are we talking about next time? Oh, uh, we'll be talking about Jesus appearing after the resurrection, and, and uh, we're getting we'll towards... get to see a, a picture of uh, where he actually tells us that all of the scriptures are pointing toward him. We're getting toward the end of Luke here. We are. Two more weeks. Two more weeks, then we'll be Christmas time. Christmas time. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>